Bishop Earl and I discuss the LDS.org essay entitled Becoming Like God. Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Several years ago, the LDS Church began publishing several different articles on questionable and troubling topics and on doctrinal issues about which the church itself and its members were not giving consistent and honest answers. And these are topics that seekers were troubled about or members didn't know how to answer. The internet had caused some of that, I'm sure. Yeah, (laughs) and they were non, most of them are non-Christian beliefs. The essays are posted on the LDS.org website, and by using Newspeak or Mormon Speak, they explain why they believe as they do. A few years ago, we discussed their articles describing and explaining their polygamy. I think there were three of them. And we need to add most of their explanations were dishonest and deceptive. Today, we want to discuss their essay entitled Becoming Like God, and you can find it at the link on the screen, lds.churchofjesuschrist.org. Uh, but, you know, the, the, um, we've talked about this before, becoming God, and you can't become God. And, and extensively in the past few years, we've talked about it, but we never yeah. did discuss the essay. No, I guess that we they, didn't. That they wrote yeah. about it. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to do that. Yeah. Now, the problem with this essay is common to the other essays, or one of the problems, I should <laughs> say, and that is that they use extra-biblical and often non-Christian sources to support non-Christian doctrine, and yet they call themselves Christian. The essay is chock full of these kinds of statements, and the bottom line is it really doesn't matter what people or groups or ideas are. It only matters what God has to say about something or about anything. And since the Bible interprets itself, it's easy to to determine if what they teach is genuinely biblical. Should be. (laughs) It should be. In fact, as our discussion today will show, we use the Bible to prove we cannot become gods, just as they misuse the Bible to try to prove that we can. But we trust the Bible, and they don't. They begin with the statement that because we are like our human parents, and since God is the parent of all humans, we not only have the right, but the essence within ourselves to become gods. When one begins on a false premise, the conclusions will also be false, we quote. Yes, this is from the essay. Latter-day Saints see all people as children of God in a full and complete sense. They consider every person divine in origin, nature, and potential. Each has an eternal core and is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents. Now, this is definitely the belief of the LDS, obviously, and of the Mormon polygamists. But just because they believe it doesn't make it true. (laughs) They may say we are literally God's children, but the Bible says that we are God's children only through faith in Christ Jesus. We read that in John 1 and 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them gave the right to become children of God. And Galatians 3.26 said, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And we have other scriptures we're going to be coming in that that will show that the Bible does not teach that we all have the inner God 
essence. That's right. Only through accepting and receiving and having faith in Jesus Christ renders anyone the right to be called God's children. That's the message from the Bible. Now, again, that's the Bible they quote from that they don't believe in. Okay. The, the, uh, and by the way, the faith that this Bible, that these verses talk about, has to be the faith in the biblical Jesus, not in the brother of Satan. That's a very important point. The, the LDS essay states that all humans inherit the divine nature. And that's not true either. We all inherit the sinful nature. Yeah, we read this in Psalms 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And you can also read that in Psalms 58, 3. But there's also John 8, 44 and 45. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And 1 John 3.10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So these are very clear <laughs> verses. They, they don't are. need special interpretation. Um, and and they're not mistranslated. <laughs> no. um, but they are saying that there's some people who are not children of God. Jesus himself in John 8, 44 said, yeah. you are a child of the devil. Now, Jesus Christ, who was and who is the truth, tells us that some people are not children of God. Now, let's not take a, a look at an incident in the book of Acts where <laughs> Paul the Apostle is confronted with this idea. Yeah, this is Acts 13, 9 through 10. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elumus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So there was someone who wasn't a child of God, obviously. So obviously all humans are not God's children. Now, the essay states that because God created mankind in his image, that we are gods. But all they've done is just turn that upside down and make God into our image, is what they've done with that. As we stated earlier, the Bible explains itself, and being created like God is clearly explained in the following verses. <laughs> From Ephesians 4:22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There you have it. Yeah. It's created to be like God. So the image of God consists of true righteousness and holiness, which is what Adam and Eve lost when they disobeyed God by eating from the tree. Now, humans do have some attributes that God has, such as imagination and the ability to create emotions, ability to yeah. participate in relationships and other aspects of who we are. But being like God, knowing good and evil, which they claim is proof text of our divine nature, <laughs> is using the word of God falsely. God knows everything, and he knows what evil is, not by experience, but by intelligence and holiness. Adam and Eve did not know what evil was until they participated in it. Now, that cannot be godlike, and it doesn't make someone a god to be disobedient. 
And note that the first person to tempt humans to become like God was the devil himself. That's right. They quote Psalm 82, 6 as proof that the Bible teaches we are gods. Again, they misunderstand and reject context. Yeah, this covers the verses before and after Psalms 82, 5 through 7. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. So yeah, how can they be gods if, <laughs> if verse 5 and verse die. 7 is explaining who they really are? Yeah. And, of course, the word gods is, is um, defined. Lower, lower case, too. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, it's defined otherwise. Uh, and the essay also quotes John ten thirty four, where Jesus quotes that. But they use that as a proof text that we are gods. Rather than explain it in our words, we decided to use a great explanation from mrm.org. As usual, very good. Oh, it's very awesome. Well done. <laughs> Latter-day Saints have used this passage to show how people can become gods. This does not make sense for several reasons. First, the passage is referring to Psalm 82, which speaks about human judges who would die like men, from verse 7. Jesus points out that like the judges in the psalm, the judgments of the Jewish leaders were wrong. In addition, it would make no sense for Jesus to identify the Pharisees, whom he called whitewashed tombs, and of your father the devil, gods in the present tense. And see, again, we have to take context, which they absolutely (laughs) do not do. Um, And the word translated gods is with a small g, which is the word Elohim in the the Hebrew language, in the biblical Hebrew dictionary. And it, it usually refers to judges when it's applied to men, judges and leaders and magistrates. And it's not exclusively as God, Elohim God, with a big G, <laughs> like you mentioned. Yeah. And, and as the article from MRM.org mentioned, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Yeah. They could hardly be God, right? right? He also called them hypocrites in Matthew 23. He called them blind fools and blind guides and a brood of vipers and sons of hell. And yet the LDS maintained that though they are God's, because of what Jesus said in John 10, 34, they're hardly divine. That You can't define no. divine that way. No. So they, they always ignore context and come up with the wrong conclusion. We also want to glean something uh, that Aaron Shafavalov wrote about Psalm 82. It is so good. In the text of Psalm 82 itself, whether or not the gods are human judges or heavenly beings, God is judge over them, far above them, and able to condemn them. He can squash them like bugs. He can condemn them to die like men. These don't sound like the exalted gods of Mormonism who rule over their own planets, receiving rightful worship from their own progeny and citizens of their own cosmic regional kingdom and dominion. None of the gods of Psalm 82 seem like candidates for exaltation, as Mormonism posits. The unique God of Christianity never learned to be who he is, taking that from Isaiah 40, 13 through 14, yet all the gods of Mormonism learned everything they know. There you go. Pretty good. I really liked that, <laughs> and it's too. so true. It doesn't seem that those who contrive and uh, think up Mormon doctrine and Mormon belief really thought it through uh, <laughs> very consistently or carefully or deeply. Uh, notice that the worshiping statements that he uses from the Bible, uh, he points out Psalm 95.3 where it says, The Lord is a great God and a great King above 
all gods. And Psalm 135.5, where it says, For I know the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. And that's what Aaron is pointing at. No. You know, if, if how can the God of the Bible be Lord and God of, above all gods if there are millions and billions of God before him? That's so true. <laughs> the essay states that some of these passages can be interpreted in different ways. Sure, they can. <laughs> but they can only be correctly interpreted in the way that the writer intended. And context, as well as the entire message of the Bible, determines its intended meaning. Trusting what Jesus said on any topic is the only safe interpretation. The essay claims that uh, perspectives about the creation of the world may have caused a shift uh, that limited our views of the human potential. Now, here they're bringing their secular ideas into it. And, of course, that statement, in my terms, can be described as horse feathers. Uh, we quote. <laughs> Again from the essay. The earliest Jewish and Christian commentaries on the creation assumed that God had organized the world out of pre-existing materials, emphasizing the goodness of God in shaping such a life-sustaining order. But new philosophical ideas in the second century led to the development of a doctrine that God created the universe ex nihilo out of nothing. This ultimately became the dominant teaching about the creation within the Christian world. In order to emphasize God's power, many theologians reasoned that nothing could have existed for as long as he had. It became important in Christian circles to assert that God had originally been completely alone. Creation ex nihilo widened the perceived gulf between God and humans. They're using some pretty skewed <laughs> ideas here by trying to, to, to push what their idea of us being divine is. Uh, and not a bit of that is based on true Christian history yeah, of what they just said. Second century Changing, yeah, 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 and we ch philosophical changes creates our religion, <laughs> not hardly. Now, and and authentic Christianity has never embraced a pre-existence of a material universe from which the Mormons believe God and other gods got together <laughs> and assembled it together. The Bible teaches that God created out of nothing. That's what the Bible teaches, and has always been authentic Christian teaching. Anything else is not true Christianity. God was there at the beginning. He knew how he created, and, 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 and he told us how he created. And Hebrews 11.3 tells us that he created things that we see out of things that are not seen. Their essay says that Christians or Jews struggled with certain ideas in order to understand God, which was the deciding force in actual doctrine. Mm. And that's not true. What the Bible says has always been the deciding force in Christian doctrine. What we believe in and, 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 and when we trust Jesus and, and bring him and, and invite him into our hearts and our lives and turn and go God's way, God adopts us into his family. And only then are we called his children. Yeah, from Galatians 4, 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. 
So we are either a slave to our sinful natures or we have been adopted into God's family because no one is born a son of God. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus that no one can either see or enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. That's the adoption into God's family through the Holy Spirit. And it is based upon our faith in Jesus Mm. alone. What is so unbelievable about this entire topic and the Mormon response is that they are embracing and defending the very thing that condemned the devil to begin with. They are defending uh, the lie that Satan told Eve that they could become like God. And so they ate and instead of becoming a God, they got kicked out of paradise. They're contradicting the many passages in the Bible explaining that there's only one God, that God is not a man, and that God, man does not become God's. In fact, uh, we, I've mentioned several times before, over 45 times in the Bible, there are it verses. Uh, and I've got a list of every verse <laughs> that we are informed there's only one God. Yet, despite all the evidence in the Bible, they continue to teach a doctrine that condemned the devil. Ooh. and uh, brought mankind into fallen state. Now, strangely, the LDS do not trust the Bible. Their eighth article of faith accuses the Bible of being untrustworthy. Yeah, and we would quote, uh, yeah, this always bothers me. I mean, that's the thing that they always fall back on. It's hard to argue with them this way. exactly. Because they say, Joseph Smith wrote, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God, as far as it's translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Yet in defense of their beliefs, they cult the Bible (laughs) over and over again, multiple times, to back up why they believe what they believe. And yet they don't trust it. They have no right to use the Bible to defend a heretical belief, especially considering the fact that they refuse to accept the Bible as being reliable. They should be ashamed of themselves or at least embarrassed. You know, using the Bible like that, they gaslight their members with contradictory ideas and accuse the Bible of being completely untrustworthy, but then using the Bible to defend their heretical teachings and their false visions and then call themselves Christian. Yes, and we're quoting from, uh, uh, let's see, is this from the introduction, I guess? In 1832, Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon experienced a vision of the afterlife. In the vision, they learned that the just and unjust alike would receive immortality (laughs) through a universal resurrection. But only those who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise would receive the fullness of God's glory and be God's, even the sons of God. Another revelation soon confirmed that the saints shall be filled with his glory and receive their inheritance and be equal with him. So quoting from Doctrine and Covenants 88, 107. And then shall the angels be crowned with the glory of his might, and the saints shall be filled with his glory and receive their inheritance and be made equal with him. And that's all heretical. So heretical. Um, And in Hebrews chapter 1, God has told us that he no longer speaks to prophets through visions or in the other diverse ways that he did uh, in the past. But in these last times, he speaks to us through his son, and that's the word of God. And because this vision is in opposition to biblical revelation, we can know that it's not true. It just isn't true. 
God has told us to test the prophets, uh, that we are supposed to test those who call themselves apostles, that we are supposed to test everything. And he has given us the powerful measure of testing. So we don't need to be fooled by these false religions claiming uh, that uh, things that just cannot be accepted as part of the Christian gospel. We quote again from the essay. He presented a plan for human beings to receive physical bodies and progress through their mortal experience toward a fullness of joy. Earthly birth, then, is not the beginning of an individual's life. Man was also in the beginning with God. Now, that's a contradictory statement, and we're <laughs> going to show how that is. Yeah. Man was in the beginning with God, okay? We weren't in the beginning with God. If we were, why the description of God's creation of man? How does that work? And they also use Acts 17, 28, where Paul says that we are the offspring of God. But Paul is merely quoting uh, one of their poets, one of their secular poets, explaining the, to those who are worshiping stone idols that we are the create the humans are a creation of a living God. That the true God is not represented by a stone idol. That's not saying that we are God's literal children. And how can we have been with God in the beginning and also be the literal children of God at the same time? And for those who are not familiar with the language code that Mormonism uses, when they say that we are the literal children of God, they are affirming their doctrine uh, of God and a goddess getting together mm -hmm. and having literal sex and giving literal birth to literal spirit children. Uh, but the Bible doesn't support that idea, and authentic Christianity has never embraced such heresies. Trying to reconcile Mormonism is dangerous because it can cause extreme <laughs> mental strain. I, you know, it can That's turn true. you upside down. And even Joseph Smith, in his translation of the Bible, tells us that God created man out of dirt, not that he was with God in the beginning. Yeah, from the Joseph Smith entire inspired version, Genesis 2.8, And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, the first flesh upon the earth, the first man also. So how can we have been with God in the beginning? And Joseph Smith writes this. It, it just, just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. In Genesis, uh, Joseph Smith's version of the Bible even contradicts Joseph Smith's Pearl of Great Price, where he claims <laughs> yeah. the council of gods got together. He but, learned more. <laughs> <laughs> but in Genesis, uh, it was God alone yeah. who did the creating. So it, it does. It just makes, uh, it gives you a lot of mental strain to try and figure that out. Then um, they bring marriage into the essay. Of course they did. They bring it into everything. And that's claiming marriage is required to become a god. You have to be married in order to be a god. You have that's to be right. married in order to go to celestial glory. You have yeah. to be married to please God and, and all of that. So we're, we're quoting here from the essay. In a revelation recorded in July 1843 that linked exaltation with eternal marriage, the Lord declared that those who keep covenants, including the covenant of eternal marriage, will inherit all heights and depths. Then, says the revelation, shall they be gods because they have no end. They will receive a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. And that's the conclusion. Yes. Continue marriage. to have children, yeah. right? That's yeah. marriage. Now, Brigham Young and many other early Mormon polygamous men who were also called prophets also taught that polygamy was required or you would be damned and that polygamy was necessary to become a god. The Mormon polygamists today teach that same thing. 
We haven't got time to comb through the entire essay. Uh, however, we again bring your attention to the fact that the LDS essay quotes the Bible to defend their odd doctrines, yet they're quick to explain they don't trust the Bible. But since they do use the Bible, we're going to close with some Bible verses <laughs> about becoming like God or becoming God. First. Starting with Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Okay, that's pretty clear, yeah. I'd say. Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 7 says, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. <laughs> Real challenge. <laughs> oh, nobody knows the future but God alone. So he's saying, go for it. <laughs> yeah, prove me wrong. Huh? Yeah, prove me wrong. Isaiah 45, 21 through 22. Declare what it is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Again, it's, there needs no special interpretation on <laughs> no. these verses. They're pretty, pretty clear. clear. And then as I was going, getting ready to come today to do these, uh, I was listening to the Bible on the... Uh, being radio. read to me, yeah, the yeah. Hebrew. They were reading through Hebrew six, and I thought this has got to be. I got to <laughs> use it. So we don't have the verse to put on the screen, but I'm going to quote Hebrew six thirteen through sixteen, where it says, "When God made His promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for Him to swear by." He swore by himself. God said there's no one greater to swear by but himself. So he swore by himself, saying, I will bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That verse, there's no one Should greater than God. And God would know what there was. He didn't say, I swear my by my father. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Again, that's just another verse proving that's that good. we can't become gods and there are no other gods. So Mormonism should either believe and trust the Bible as they use it to defend their faith or stop using it to deceive themselves and others. Humans do not become gods. Our natures are not divine. They are sinful. And that's why we need Jesus. That's, so that's what true. it's all about. Yeah. I, one thing that came to my mind as we were going through this is the old thing, and I think we've mentioned it before, but here we have a heavenly father and a mother, supposedly, mm -hmm. that have these flesh and bone bodies, and they're giving birth to spirit children. Yeah. That's such How a, does that work? Yeah, that's such a contradiction in, in anything. And nobody, you know, I've heard that question <laughs> like asked before. Like. No one's ever answered. Yeah, no. like begets like. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And, and no one's ever answered that question in the Mormon realm. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's it. So that's that's our response to becoming gods. And again, we've 
we've <laughs> talked about this before, but we yeah. hadn't used the essay. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, Appreciate it. Sure. You know, Romans chapter 9, verse 8 says, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. A former polygamy group member that I was doing a Bible study with, she uh, asked the question, well, well, why can't we become a God? And I said, the answer simple, because God said so. Not a, is that enough reason? Humans do not have an inherent divine nature. We can participate with God only by being adopted by Him and having a personal relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit because of faith in Jesus. But we don't need the LDS to do that or polygamy or Joseph Smith or any other created thing, just Jesus. And we have it. when we have Him, we have enough. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.